You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to the 42Cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. This week is going to be a little different. We are still going to bring you a topic, but this time it's going to be a pre-recorded panel from Chicago TARDIS 2017. I had the privilege of being on a panel talking about the first Doctor Adventures coming from Big Finish. And the funny thing is, I had a lot of comments prepared, a lot of talk, speculation about what it would be like, and you know, what, you know, the differences of having a different cast performing as the first Doctor, Susan, Barbara, and Ian. And then who should decide to crash the panel but Nicholas Briggs himself. For those who don't know Nicholas Briggs, he is the voice of the Daleks on the new series of Doctor Who. He is also the co-producer at Big Finish and the director of the First Doctor Adventures audios. So it was great having Nick there, but it meant that I pretty much had to throw away most of what I wanted to talk about because, you know, why speculate when Nick Briggs is there and can answer the question? So it kind of turned from being a panel more into an interview. There was one other panelist with me. There was originally supposed to be four people uh, scheduled, but for whatever reason, two people didn't show up, which I think is kind of fortunate uh, having Nick there because uh, it would have, I think, gotten a little uh, a little difficult to uh, have everybody talking. So it worked out pretty well. Uh, Nick was very gracious. I thought when he came that he was going to, you know, take over the panel and moderate it himself, but he deferred to me to moderate, and so that was a lot of fun. So uh, we basically did turn it into a Q and A. Uh, although my co-panelist also spoke a little bit and gave some opinions on things. Uh, the reason that I'm referring to her as my co-panelist is that originally when I asked her if uh, she was okay with recording the podcast, she said yes, everything was fine. But later, she got back in touch with me and said that uh, she understood that this episode was important for me for my podcast, but that she wanted to remain anonymous. So the one bit of editing that I am going to do with uh, the uh, panel is to delete out her name. So she will remain anonymous, but you will hear her her speaking. And uh, if anyone wonders why I didn't introduce her in the panel or allow her to introduce herself. I I did actually allow her to introduce herself. We just deleted that out of the audio. So unlike most episodes, I'm not going to have an outro because, uh, you know, I'll just let this episode speak for itself. I do, as always, ask that you give feedback. You can do that by emailing us at everything at 42cast.com, leaving feedback on our website, which is 42cast.com, uh, leaving us reviews on Stitcher Radio or iTunes, uh, going to facebook.com slash 42cast, or to tweet to us at at 42cast. But with all that being said, it's time to go into the panel, and we will get there after this promo from another fine podcast. 
Hi, I'm Joe Heath. I'm Tony Heath. And we're going to watch every episode of Doctor Who and then talk to you about it. Every episode? Every single one. In order? From an unearthly child to, you know, the future. And we're going to do it in a podcast that we call... The Watchathon of Rassilon. Watcherassilon.com. And we're also a part of the ESO Network. So check us out or whatever. Please. Stay Rassil Awesome. Stop trying to make Rassil Awesome a thing. Nope. This is the uh, Big Finishes First Doctor Adventures panel. Uh, my name is Nathan Laws. I am the host of the 42 cast, which I say is your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. Uh, every episode I cover a new topic in either TV, movies, comics, uh, books, uh, video games. Uh, so it kind of runs the whole gamut. Um, and uh, yeah, I have a business card up here if anyone is interested in uh, checking out my show. And also with me is... Uh, it's Nick Briggs here. I'm the executive producer of Big Finish Productions. And this is the Daleks and other people. Janet Fielding just came in, looked around, and walked out again. <laughs> that's, a, that's my entire name. It's a very long name. Um, yeah, she did it again. That was a double take. Is she going for the third? No, she's gone. Anyway, that's me. <laughs> and so um, there was an announcement uh, just a few months ago. In fact, ironically, the day that podcast uh, uh, suggest or it's not podcast, topics for panels at the convention were going to close was the same day we got the announcement that there was going to be a first Doctor Adventures. Oh, right. And so I instantly went on the Chicago TARDIS webpage and said, oh, this needs to be a panel to talk about, you know, this new development that's going on using the Adventures in Space and Time. Not Time and Space. I know, it's uh, difficult to remember that, <laughs> isn't it? We all get it around the wrong way. Um, a cast. Uh, and so, uh, since you're here, Nick, uh, we don't need to speculate um, what was the uh, the impetus to um, you know to, to do go to forward do this. yeah um, well I think it like most good ideas at Big Finish it was uh, the idea of uh, David Richardson who's the line producer or senior producer of the company um, and David is mostly involved with the nuts and bolts of actually making productions happen and he's often suggesting stuff and he suggested this Quite a long time ago, it would have been, I don't know, mid-2016, I think he suggested it, started mooting the idea, and we, um, so we started trying to put it all together in 2016, could have been slightly earlier than the middle of 2016, because I remember that uh, we, all, we all obviously thought it was a good idea, <laughs> that's the first thing, um, and I, I had in mind what I wanted to do at some point was to do the first Doctor Who novel in an exciting adventure with the Daleks, do a, a straight adaptation of that because it's quite different to the televised version anyway, but that, we weren't going to do that straight away. And um, I remember we were in a position to, to record it in February this year, um, but 
David Bradley is an extremely busy actor and he it looked like he was free and I had the schedule and everything and it was going to happen, going to happen and then two weeks before it didn't happen. And so we, we kept struggling to reschedule and then find a time when the, all four of the main cast were available together because if possible we like them all to be together, at least for most of the time. And uh, then we were in a meeting with the BBC and they sort of locked the doors and said, look, we've got to tell you a secret thing that in the Christmas special, David Bradley's going to return as the first top. So we went, oh, right. So we told them about our plans and they went, oh, that's fine. Yeah, when's it coming out? And we said, well, after the Christmas special. So there we are. They, they were happy with it. And then we finally, right after he finished filming the Christmas special, we managed to get David Bradley and the other cast members. Although Jamie Glover's quite difficult to get because he's starring as Harry Potter in a West End production of the, whatever the Harry Potter play is called. Curse Child. Curse Child, thank you very much. I haven't seen it yet. I can't afford the 750 pounds or whatever it is to go and see it. Um, as my wife looked that up from, for the three of us, my son, my wife and myself to see it over two days. And it was, I think it was 750 pounds. That, that pause is me just pulling a strange face. <laughs> Still not as much as Hamilton. <laughs> really? Wow. Goodness me. And you can't get, you know, I didn't dare ask Jamie for a, a free or cheap ticket. But anyway, so his availability was difficult as well. But, you know, we finally managed to work it all out. Does that answer your question? It does answer my question. Um, so I'm a fan of the Companion Chronicles range. Uh, also the early adventures. Um, well, and even short trips, I guess. I mean, those all utilize the original actors from that era of the series. Obviously, uh, Companion Chronicles and short trips are very limited in the, in the casting. Uh, but let's say, compared to the early adventures, what kind of an experience will be different for people listening to the first Doctor Adventures versus uh, the early adventures? Well, it's full cast, um, so, and there's no narration. So it's very much like a, a, a normal big finish drama. And also it's a sort of reimagining, but we're not creating a new continuity or anything. We're not, um, but it's a sort of step sideways. I don't like to think of it as an alternative universe in the fictional sense, but I suppose it is just in terms of the classification of it. And you know, it's, it's other actors doing their interpretations of their roles, because of course, that team, you know, of, of David and Claudia and Jamie and Gemma were cast primarily because of their physical resemblance, um, not because they sounded like those actors. And I don't think any of them really do sound like the original team. So it's them, but they are playing those characters and they did their research. And you may have heard the story I've told many times, which is when I went in to do my little bit in Adventure in Space and Time, I was sitting there while they were putting the wig on me <laughs> and uh, and I kept hearing like bits of I was very very excited to be there uh, bits of uh, the Daleks you know that and, and the first meeting when the Daleks come out and Susan gasps and everything and I kept hearing this sort of what, I thought I was having a stroke or something and it was just going on inside my head um, but it was Claudia sitting at her makeup desk while she was being made up and she was watching that clip over and over again to get the little yelp that Susan gives exactly right and so they all had lots of clips and had watched lots of episodes so they'd done the research into those characters but they are different actors you know so um, they, they do it in a different way and David Bradley's uh, 
vocal performance is very, very different from William Hartnell's. You know, so we're just going with it being uh, a, a different interpretation, really. Yeah, I mean, I will say, because uh, Gemma was on two of the early adventures that, uh, yeah, I agree with you. It does sound a little bit jarring having her with the original cast of William Russell and Carol Ann Ford because they, you know, they still, you know, William Russell still can sound like Ian and, and Carol Ann Ford can still sound like Susan, but then having that other voice come in does sound a little uh, unusual, a little strange. Yeah, I mean, I must say that I did do, uh, I'm a bit more of a, an anorak than I think, uh, who directed those? Was it Lisa Bowerman or? Uh, I, some, I think those were Lisa Bowerman. Yeah, well, Lisa's a very good director and a brilliant actor, but she's not so much of a, well, I don't think she's any kind of Doctor Who fan. And, um, you know, I know what Barbara sounds like, so even though Gemma doesn't sound like Barbara, uh, I could uh, give her a few hints at things to do that would make her interpretation a bit more like the one we saw on the television. And what I immediately noticed Gemma was doing, and she presumably, and I haven't heard those early adventures, because there's so much, I, I have to choose what I hear of Big Finish, and I have to trust other people to make judgments. I dip in now and again and make comments, but I, so I haven't heard those. Um, and I, um, she, to my mind, she wasn't being pleasant enough because she was doing the very uh, old-fashioned RP, received pronunciation, you know, posh English. Um, it, it made her sound quite harsh and, and unfriendly. And I, just, and I just kept saying to her things like, um, does she not like them at all? You know, rem remember she loves these people and remember she's having fun. And, you know, it got to the point, you know, after eight days in the studio, I would go, Gemma, and she'd turn around and look over her shoulder and go, that note again, I go, that note again, you know, perfect, apart from that. And, you know, she'd warm it up a little. So I think that her performance will be warmer. And that just seemed to do the trick. And then she started sounding like a cross between, um, oh God, who's the really famous, famous actress who was in Breakfast at Tiffany's? Audrey Hepburn. Audrey Hepburn. That. <laughs> and and it sounds like a cross between her and Lady Penelope, you know, which is rather nice actually. She said, "I'll take that. That's fine." Yeah, yeah. All right. So, so because I, I know we've been kind of talking over here, and and Nick, you might want to close your ears for this. Uh, I just am kind of curious about your thoughts on um, authenticity, and, and the reason for that is, uh, you know, we've had Elliot Chapman come in as Ben. We've had Tintralor as the third doctor, and the thing that you notice right away listening to their audios is that these men have studied the episodes of Doctor Who that, the, that Ben Jackson and the third doctor were in, and they have, they have really tried to nail the delivery. And so, you know, it's one of these things that, you know, sometimes I struggle with, because uh, I love the, the first doctor's era, and I realize that we're coming at a time when the actors either are no longer capable of doing the role or just aren't with us. So how do you feel about the, the whole authenticity issue? Um, I think in a way it's almost better to have, if you're going to recast any of the parts, to recast all the parts, because mm. I, I agree, it, it sounded very jarring to have Gemma with the original cast members because we know what the original cast sounds like together and to have someone else in there is, is more it's, it's more difficult to listen to than to, to have an entirely new cast. I, I, I feel like Carol 
because she had such respect for Jackie, yeah. does a better yeah, Barbara that is, that is, than, that than anyone else that, that we've I, had. I, I, I felt, I, I feel like when you have the original cast members doing the, 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 the cast they worked with, sometimes mm-hmm. you, you get more of a sense of it. It's, it's, it because they, they were there day in and day out with that voice in their ear, so it, it's, it's easier to, to, to put that in there. So, I, yeah, I definitely, I definitely feel if you're, if you're going to recast one, recast all. And um, but that is another question, though, that I was I was just wondering. Now that we have set this precedent, mm. um, is Big Finish intending um, in the future to recast other original classic roles? I mean, um, what I mean, Elizabeth Slade is no longer with us, but Four and Sarah Jane were a very popular team. Is it possible that in the future, when Tom Baker is a little older and no longer wishes to do Four, that that might be a team to recast, that other teams might be recast. What is the thought on that at, at Big Finish? I want to know. Yeah, well, uh, I would, uh, this will be offended then. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I would uh, say that it is not, um, we don't have policy decisions. We, we um, approach each of these issues one at a time and see how it feels. Uh, the uh, the ones that Gemma has been in with the original cast that it wasn't with Caroline Ford, was it? Did she do something with Caroline Ford? Yeah, she, she did. She did. Okay. Yeah, I, wonder, I haven't spoken to Carol about how she felt about. It. I know she did some with Maureen O'Brien, didn't she? Yeah, she did more with Maureen yeah. and William also. Yes. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, it's. I know that because I know that Maureen was really uh, welcoming of that. But anyway, that's that's um, uh, a side issue, really. Uh, it's difficult to know because you know the, t- the Tim Trelaw thing came about entirely by accident. You've probably heard the story that he was he was in doing um, Destination Nerva, the first Tom Baker one that was released, not the first one we recorded, and he was playing a, a character in that, uh, a very very posh old chap. And uh, Tom and I kept saying, "Who does that sound like? That sounds like someone. Who is it?" And one of us, and I can't remember which, said. It's John Pertwee. He sounds like John Pertwee, doesn't it? And of course, it doesn't sound exactly like John Pertwee at all. But there's enough of a suggestion of it, so that when we did the uh, light at the end, we thought, well, let's just do a little bit and have have uh, uh, Tim in there doing a John Pertwee voice. Uh, so that seemed to sort of work. And then we did it, you know, with a bit of narration, which of course nobody liked because it was a daft idea. But we were so frightened that people would just not be able to accept him at all. But we wanted to say, well, look, this is the guy who's narrating, doing John Pertwee's lines in this. That's how. But people, more or less, you know, said, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm buying that. That's you know, to me, it's a bit like the. Did you ever see the TV action comics and Countdown, the British comics uh, that had Doctor Who strips in them? And they had a way. There was an artist called Jerry Haylock had a way of drawing. John Pertwee, that was almost more John Pertwee than John Pertwee, and I start, and I read those comics week in and week out, and Doctor Who was only on 25 weeks a year, you know, with John Pertwee in it, and then I'd read the comics the rest of the time, and that John Pertwee became more John Pertwee to me than the one I was seeing on the television, and then you look at the two of them, and, and even though it's very good artwork, it's, it is not quite the same, and to me, Tim Trelaw is like that Doctor, you know, he's, he's sort of... You could, after a while, you start accepting that that's John Pertwee, but you put the two next to each other, you go, oh, that's, that's obviously not John Pertwee, you know. So the authenticity thing about recasting other people. Well, these things do occur to us, you know. We've had various conversations 
unofficial and, and chatty little conversations about, you know, what about Liz's daughter, Sadie? You know, would she ever come in and, because she is an actress, would she come in and do that? I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't feel right at the moment for me, but I would never rule it out. You know, and people ask us that about John Hurt as well, doing adventures of a, a younger war doctor. But time doesn't feel right at the moment. You know, it's difficult to judge, isn't it? And the, you know, the, the first Doctor stuff is very much just saying, look, we're going to try this out, see how this goes. And it's, it seemed to go very well, and the cast enjoyed it very much. They're such a jolly team to work with. I can't tell you. Dave, as he prefers to be known, David Bradley, is, uh, is, is loved by the entire British acting profession, it seems. You know, while we were in the studios, there were people there from other casts in other productions not to do with Big Finish. And they were, Dave, Dave, and he's everyone's mate because they all love him. He's such an easygoing guy. And he's, he is very much the sort of grandfather to our little team there as well. And they're delighted to, you know, and hopefully we'll, we'll do some more, but, but who knows. Have I got anywhere near answering your question? I think so. Is that all right? Okay. Well, uh, I was just, because some of that original cast is still with us, um, I was wondering, how were um, William Russell and Caroline Ford, um, what was their opinion of, of the new casting when you told them? We haven't told them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, uh, yeah, we, yeah, we just, this is a new uh, release. I mean, I say we haven't told them, I don't know. David Richardson may have spoken to them about him. I don't know. Well, so, it was something that some of us suspected. We were talking on a forum about the fact that it feels like Gemma's lines might have been dubbed in later to the two early adventures and that she might not have been in studio with Carol and William and so that's something that we were kind of wondering about but it sounds like you weren't uh, directly I, I don't know about that uh, I know she was there with Maureen mm -hmm. because I specifically was told how much fun that Maureen had, had and, and what have you with her but uh, I don't know whether that was true I don't know mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, you're absolutely right to sort of tease at these issues because they are, they're quite sensitive issues, aren't they? Yeah, I... Are yeah. We, are we do, I mean, this may sound horrifically arrogant, but we tend not to ask actors' opinions on what productions we do. We tend to make decisions and then go to ask the people who we want to be in it, you know? Um, that may not sound reverential enough, but... Um, you know, no one asked uh, uh, their their opinion on making an adventure in space and time. So, you know, we just thought it would be a new thing to try. Well, it's it's a valid point though because it is something that gets discussed in fan circles. Is you know how how you do feel about things like that. So if you're fan, I mean, you're different from say people at the BBC who may not be fans. You know, that are just making a production because it will make money. You know, you are fan. You want to make money, but you are also fans. And so, how much you take into account, you know, the the feelings of coworkers and whatnot. You know, you know, how does Katie Manning feel about working with someone other than John Pertwee as the Doctor and, and such? You know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we did. Ask because she was going to be working with Tim Trelaw, we asked Katie Manning, and I imagine that uh, they were asked about Gemma uh, to be in their productions. Um, but I don't know that for certain. We should get David Richardson here. I must find out. I, I can't imagine that David Richardson didn't ask about that because they'd be working together, or whether it was added in later, they would know that, wouldn't they? Because you know, Carol would presumably be saying, oh, Why am I not doing Barbara's lines? Um, 
So, uh, yeah, but I don't think, I mean, I could be completely wrong. I don't think they were told that we were going to do this. But I don't know. I suppose we just thought of it as a completely different thing, really. I don't, I, yeah, it's, uh, it's difficult, this whole business about, it, it comes into the area of what is canon and what isn't. And um, I, I think, controversially, that what's canon and what isn't just comes down to what you like and what you don't like, really. You know? I mean, I love, like the whole debate about having a female doctor. The, you know, the people who don't like, some people who don't like the idea of a female doctor have said to me, when I've said, well, look, aside from anything else, it's been allowed in the fictional context of the program. It's clearly set that there can be uh, regenerations that change sex, you know. And the answer I get from such people is, they just made that bit up. <laughs> said, like the rest of it is a documentary. <laughs> so it all comes down. We all think that certain facts in Doctor Who are set in stone, don't we? Getting back to authenticity in a different way, rather than just talking about actors, because one of the things that's been set forward about this first Doctor Adventures when I read uh, some sound bites about it, I can't remember from who, was that the writing was going to be very authentic to that era and the kinds of stories that were told. Um, I've, I've heard people moot the point before that they think that if they recast the first Doctor that they think that the writing shouldn't be bound by the constraints of the 60s and just you know, tell completely you know, stories that would feel modern. And, and so I wanted sort of your, both of your thoughts on uh, what, uh, you know, how you feel about that or if you feel like it should be constrained by the, the writing style at least. Because, you know, it, it, it's, it's kind of a weird thing. For those of us um, who, for whom that's our era, that's our team, that's our doctor, um, it, you know, it, it's necessarily going to be different. So, I mean, there, there comes a point to which, if you take the writing too far, how is it even those characters at all? If you're writing differently, they're cast entirely differently. Aside from the names, you may as well just create an entirely different TARDIS team entirely, start with entirely new characters. I mean, you have to have something to tie it to that era, somehow. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yes, I, I, I completely agree with that. Uh, I, I'm just debating whether to say something slightly indelicate. Oh, what the heck. Um, but there, there was a short story I had to read out. Sorry, I was employed to read out for... Um, a BBC thing, uh, which was a first Doctor story. It was when they got a load of famous authors to write stories for each Doctor's era, and they, I don't know, they published them in little thin books or something. And uh, I, I received this one by Owen Ewan Colfer, I can't remember how to pronounce his name, who's a, you know, a brilliant writer and has achieved much in his life and is a huge Doctor Who fan, apparently. And I couldn't tell that from the story I was sent to read because it was a first Doctor story and almost nothing about it was like a first Doctor story and the way the cat doctors the way the Doctor and Susan spoke was nothing like the way the Doctor and Susan spoke. And um, you know, I did quite shock the producer when he said I met this producer for the first time. I said, Hello then, what do you think of the book? I said, I think it's a load of old <laughs> words, you know, and he went, oh, I said, don't worry, I'll sell it, I'll, I'll make it sound great, you know, but uh, I've, I've, you've asked me the question and I'm no good at lying, so, yeah, it's, uh, I don't like it. Um, 
as a piece of fiction, it's a great piece of work. I mean, the, the gentleman is obviously an extremely talented writer, but it's not Doctor Who, and it's certainly not the first Doctor, and I just kept thinking, well, what's the point of this? So that sort of makes, that's why we've made this decision. However, it's the writing we, our writers have engaged in for this first Doctor Adventure series is not, it can never be wholly authentic, because, you know, it's not appallingly sexist, for a start. <laughs> but Excuse me. The first Doctor Zero was not appallingly sexist. I, I, I will have to say that right here, right now. There was maybe one line in one of the early episodes, and they were still finding their way that, that I found questionable. But yeah. overall, I think the storylines that were written for women and the number of female characters that they had on screen was actually much greater than in even in many later eras of yeah, Doctor Who. I really have to have to have to stress that. But the idea that because something is older it's necessarily less progressive than than it is now or that if something is new it's necessarily more progressive than something is old is is a very false notion in any I think that you're generally right that that is a false notion but uh, it's still there. I think you're being very kind to it. And I love it all as well. I love to watch it. I really do. I love to watch uh, Old Doctor and First Doctor Adventures particularly as well. Um, I do have a problem with William Hartnell forgetting his lines. That takes me out of the drama a little. Um, I'll be honest about that. But I still, as I've got older, I've become more and more tolerant of that. And I, I love it. I often watch The Dalek Invasion of Earth. Uh, again and again, even though the Dalek voices are a bit rubbish, I forgot to turn on the ring modulator. But I, I think there are there are still sort of basic societal assumptions in those stories that betray its age and are necessarily less progressive. But I don't think it's any. I don't think it's a catalogue of heinous crimes against women at all. So I do. I do take your point, and I do. I think you're right. Actually, when Doctor Who's got more about the singing, the swinging sixties, and you know the sexy seventies or whatever, it did become more sexist then, didn't it? It became more about objectifying women and the kind of clothes they were wearing. But that's because society loosened up. But unfortunately, it loosened up in a kind of, oh, look at those rather attractive women sort of way. <laughs> yeah, I think those first two seasons under Verity, I think because Verity was in charge, they yeah. did, did tend to be yeah. a lot more even-handed because here was a strong woman who, know, who knew that women could be strong and so you get Barbara as I think one of the more, most progressive companions in the first 20 years. And they didn't, they didn't do that thing, which is what um, who was talking, I think Janet was talking about it, they didn't do that thing um, uh, uh, that is often done when male writers write for women and they have two female characters who are friends, they have them start bitching at each mm -hmm. other, yeah. you know, which is like, oh, that's what women do, sort of attitude, and that certainly wasn't the case, yeah. that's for sure. The, the relationship I, I feel rightfully chastised about this, yeah. thank you. The relationship between Barbara and Susan is about one of, one of the more rare relationships um, for women in a TV series, and especially in science fiction, to have two women who are mutually supportive of each other and, and are very much friends and help and you know having the older woman guide and protect and, and teach the younger woman. It's, it's, it's very special and as, as a woman, that's something I rarely encounter in science fiction and I watch a lot of science fiction, so it's very special and absolutely it's, it's, it's one of the things that, you know, don't be afraid to get into the older eras of Doctor Who because there's, there's so much there that is absolutely just as progressive and just as wonderful as the show we have now. I mean, it, the show we have now is built on the show we had then, and it's, it's still very much 
it has all those same wonderful qualities from the beginning that it, that it continues to have. I would say that's an interesting thing you say there. I think you're right that it's built on the show they had then. However, I do think the first Doctor era is a kind of, looking back, it's a kind of odd thing at the beginning of the show because the show we rec recognise started with Patrick Troughton, doesn't yeah. it? That, Structurally, the show in the beginning, it was envisioned as an ensemble drama. Whereas, um, just simply because of happenstance, William Hartnell was the, the, the last original cast member to leave. So the Doctor, by default, became the lead of the show, whereas that was not how it was in the beginning. I mean, in the beginning, it was, it was definitely, Ian and Barbara were much more the protagonists that the audience was, that was to identify with, and the story revolved around all of the characters in a more equal um, way. I always compare the first Doctor in those first two seasons when Ian and Barbara are there to Dr. Smith from yeah. Lost in Space. <laughs> <laughs> He's there to get them into trouble a lot of the time <laughs> rather than to you actually be there. Yes. <laughs> oh, you mechanical ninny. <laughs> That's a really good analogy, actually, in terms of the role in the story. But however, you can understand why people thought it was all about the Doctor, because it is called Doctor Who, and everyone mm. thought his name was Doctor Who, let's face it. And of course, as Stephen Moffat tells us now, it really is. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, <coughs> excuse me. So you talked about Gemma and you talked about how she sounded uh, a little too harsh uh, in certain places. But talking back to what uh, was talking about, uh, the family dynamic of that first TARDIS crew is so important to to the era. So how, when you're taking these four actors, they, they didn't have a lot of time together, even on the adventure in, in space and time uh, movie to really develop a lot of relationship together. How do you sort of create that atmosphere when they're just coming together? Well, the good thing is that um, they loved working with each other on the an adventure in space and time, and they um, absolutely were dying to get back together. And we were delighted. That's why most of them said yes to it, because we said, well, it'll be all of you. And they were delighted. So they had a closeness anyway, and to see them all together was a thing of beauty, it really was. Um, so, and it's certainly there, you know, in the scripts we've written. So uh, it's very important to get that right. Yeah. We didn't at any point have the doctor saying to Susan, you need a jolly good smack bottom. <laughs> which is one of the things I would be uncomfortable with in the original series. Yeah, it's different from like Jamie threatening to spank Zoe or something. Oh, <laughs> so Don't ever listen to President's face. Just, no, no. You know, I never have. Don't. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, talk about sexist. <laughs> if, 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 if that was the cleaned up version, I don't want to know what the original was. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I thought you were saying we had five minutes left. Yeah. Uh, a question uh, to Nick about who the, the new cast, the uh, women with uh, Claudia Grant now playing Susan. There's two Susans in the show. There's the original Susan, who was alien and mysterious, and then there, she became the screamer. Do you know which way Claudia is choosing to go with well, the character? Well, we didn't write her as a... I'm sure would have some issue with what you just said. Um, <laughs> I, I, and rightly so. Um, I don't think she's, no, she's not really the screamer, no. We, we try to, uh, yeah, give her, uh, she's got sort of opinions and is interpreting what's going on. And, and there's one story where she sort of gets, they meet this family, this sort of, you know, futuristic family on a, a planet and, 
and the young girl, uh, who's sort of nominally Susan's age, you know, is sort of sent off to her room to play with, as it turns out, with highly sophisticated technological toys that she's created herself. So she's not sort of going, you know, she's doing technology and stuff. But, and Susan, because the family don't quite understand what it is with the doctor and his family, that is sort of, well, you know, your, your granddaughter can go off with her. And she's, she sort of looks at the doctor and is sort of like, I'm not, you know, I'm not. And he goes, no, no, come on, you might find something out, you know, and then that becomes an important, uh, plot thing. So yeah, we do, we make sure that she has um, a strong role. She's. Done. I don't know whether she ever screams. We did a fantastic scene where she. Um, I just spoil it for you because it's only a few of us. <laughs> a fantastic scene where um, Claudia had to uh, dive. The TARDIS had sunk to the bottom of the sea, and she said, "I'll dive in after it." So she dives in and swims to it and gets inside, and you know, water's rushing in, and she's gets to the controls and sets it so that, you know, the water's pushed out and all this. And, you know, we had to do this scene, and she was just amazing and so heroic. And she said, how am I going to do this? I said, this is a glass of water. Mm-hmm. I said, to take a few sips and try and speak while you're doing that. And she did the most incredible job. So she does loads of heroic things, yeah. That's a real story. That was my favourite scene. I, didn't, I worried it wasn't going to work, but she, you know, there's something about uh, actors and water. It's very exciting to hear on audio because suddenly you just can see the scene. The moment you hear them going, you know, with water splashing out of their mouths. We famously did that with uh, Sherilyn Smith. She was covered in tea towels, which was soaked by the end. Yeah, um, one thing I will say is I do appreciate how Big Finish has... Uh, sort of reformed Susan's character. Uh, you listen to some of the Companion Chronicles things, the, some of the things that Susan's been allowed to do, more of what Carol would have enjoyed doing back in the, back in the day. And, uh, you know, when you think about it, Susan confronts the Daleks in the first Dalek story and isn't really that scared of them. You know, I mean, it, there's, there's sort of an interesting thing if you look at the stories and Sensorites, she's completely fearless, brave, you know, hey, we should talk to these people and everything. everyone else is like, whoa, no, I mean, these things are horrible, don't go anywhere near them. So, I mean, she had that aspect to her character, but people seem to only remember the screamer. And so I, I, I appreciate that that's the, the route that, that you've gone. So, thank you. <laughs> Do anything rubbish. Right. Um, so, uh, so, so another thing that I uh, was wondering, and, and something that I think has concerned some people, uh, because uh, Carol hasn't really been doing a lot with Big Finish. There was this one short trip, which I'm not sure if it's come out yet or if it's about to come out. Well, all hands on deck. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, has that just come out? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And um, I live in the future. So. Right. <laughs> And we've got great plans for Susan with Carol. Oh, I mean, we've, okay. there's some great stuff coming up. But uh, I just approved some plans the other week, which will, yeah, lovely. Okay. Well, I mean, it, I think you're kind of getting into what I was about to ask, which was, you know, with William Russell, the word has been that he hasn't done any in quite a while, that, that, that the first Doctor crew, the, the, the classic ones, are being kind of retired in favor of the new cast, and so I just wanted you to... No, we're not doing that. We're not retiring them in favor of the new cast at all. Um, William Russell, um, I, I don't know what the situation with him is. He's 93, so... Uh, I, you know, uh, this lovely man. I've spent so so much lovely time with him, you know, over the last few years. Well, going right back to when I did the Myth Makers interview with him, when we ran, went around London on a bus, just the two of us. I just saw that recently. That was so lovely. I had such a fantastic time. I was so 
privilege to be there, really. Interesting man, just chatting all the time about his film career and stuff. Anyway, um, but the thing is, and, and I'm sure, you know, I know uh, he's done convention appearances recently, and it's fine, but it's one thing to sort of be, um, you know, able to chat to people and go to events and stuff. It's another thing to be able to concentrate on a, a performance all day in front of a microphone. That takes, you know, I mean, my mum's 88, and uh, she's not an actor, obviously, but uh, she, I say obviously, I'm telling you, she's not. Um, she can tell a good yarn, but uh, that's a whole different thing. Um, but she, and she's fine, you know, but I know that she couldn't do a day like our actors do in the studio. It would just, it would just, yeah, exhaust her. That's why I'm so in awe of Tom Baker at 83, you know, having lived the life he's lived, still capable of doing that, but you know, he's, when it's time for him to go home, he absolutely should be going home. You know, it's, it's not like we think, oh, we could do another three hours. No, it's, it's time for him to go because he's exhausted, because he's put his all into it. And so, you know, it's a delicate issue, really, because I would love us to do some more with William Russell, and, uh, and, and hopefully that can happen. But I don't think there are any particular plans at the moment for that. But, you know, with Maureen and with Carol and with Peter Purvis, Am I missing anyone? Annika, I suppose, yeah, you know, um, I think of Annika as being just 22 or something. <laughs> um, she's uh, full of energy. And Maureen O'Brien is one of the, my favourite human beings. I get When she comes in, she lives in France, when she comes over to do one, you know, I get told but so that I can get to the studio to say hi to her, just to have a 10 minute conversation. She's lovely. Are you about to say something? Um, I I don't know if this is official yet, but I, I was talking to Jason Hay Gallery and he, he seemed to indicate that they weren't going to have William Russell do anymore. Right. Which disappoints me greatly since he, he's, he reads lovely audios and I, well, I enjoy Well, yeah, I mean, so you talk much. about Tom Baker at 83, but William Russell was doing those into his early 90s at least and he brought the performance. Absolutely. I mean, tremendously. And, and to me, he is my favorite of the first Doctor readers. I mean, Peter Purvis is still wonderful, uh, but, but to me, I, I think that he captures more of that Hartnell vibe uh, in the way that he's very clipped in the way he talks. I can't do it, so I'm not oh, even going to try it. <laughs> if it is ever at all possible to work with him again, we'll do it. We've not, you know what I mean? We, we want to do Please it. Do we don't it want to not can. do it. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. William Russell could read the phone book and yes. I would probably listen to it. <laughs> so... <laughs> Oh, um, sure. Before the opportunity came up with David Bradley, was there any thought to uh, the voice actor that did the work of uh, the Giants? I think it's David Gerard or something. Um, it's pretty unbelievable the voice work that he did sound like William Hartnell. I don't know. Was there ever any thought to. There, there wasn't. I mean, I, I don't. Was it that good? I thought, I mean, watching it, his, some of the episodes. Maybe I should look at that again. Switch between him doing the voiceovers as Hartnell reading it with the rest of the lines. Yeah. I, don't know, I was. I, I didn't think it was that good. Oh, yeah, because didn't he do the voice for the 50th anniversary story as well, just in the background or something? Yes, I believe that's correct. Uh, that I, thought, I don't know. Well, that'd be a good reason if you guys didn't think he was good enough for it. Yeah, I just, I thought that just sounded like, you know, I thought, well, I could do William Hartnell. I could go, yes, yes, right, so, you know, it's kind of like everyone's impersonation of William Hartnell, not the one that makes you go, oh, hold on, that is, you know, like the guy who does um, uh, Patrick Troughton, Chris Thompson, that's, that's actually quite uncanny sometimes, you know, it's not perfect, but you kind of go, oh my goodness, that is, that is really, 
Patrick Troughton, right there. I get that feeling from Fraser Hines. Fraser Hines. Yeah, 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 Fraser Hines has moments, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, it's lovely. So, You've given us a little bit about the two, yeah. about well, one of the stories that's coming up. So why don't you tell us uh, about? Uh, well, I just spoil the rest. Uh, well, well, don't spoil the whole thing, but just give us, you know, something, something exciting to sort of. Uh, yes. What can I tell you? Well, what's the first one? The first one is called the Destination Wars. Uh, I don't know how much I can't spoil that. Um, so <laughs> I don't mean to be a, you know, an idiot, but I. I, I, I hmm? Well, the destination was, and the second one is called the, uh, the Great White Hur- Hurricane, which is set in a time in 19... when the Empire State Building wasn't built. Um, uh, during a Great White Hurricane that actually happened in New York, and the, the TARDIS team are, are split up there, desperately trying to get back uh, to each other and to the TARDIS. Um, and then the second box set, uh, there's... Um, the Barbarians and the Samurai, uh, which is a purely historical story, uh, set at the, the time when Japan was isolated from the whole of the world, and it was, you know, uh, penalty of death if you were an outsider. Um, and that was a great story. We had some great Japanese actors coming in. Who's writing that one? Uh, that's uh, Andrew Smith has written oh, that one. Good. Yeah. Uh, he's really done his research. And uh, why am I struggling to find the next one? Uh, oh, that's annoying. I can't remember. The Invention of Death. The Invention of Death, <laughs> which is, uh, yeah. And, and I love the fact that all the stories, each episode has its individual title as well. You'll be pleased to hear. Yeah. The Invention of Death is a planet where uh, aliens uh, have no concept of death. So that's a very, uh, yeah. So you've, uh, you've, you've created a first incarnation for the Master. I know that much, because that was in the original press release on it. Oh, right, yeah, so the Master's in it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't remember when we'd said that or not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. by James Dreyfus. Yeah. So what was amazing? What went into casting a pre-Delgado master? Uh, well, from my point of view, it was David Richardson who said to me, "This guy's really good, and we're going to put him in this story." He's also in a Tom Baker story that's going to come out in uh, five million years' time. Uh, you know, uh, uh, so uh, we've already established it for ourselves. There's, there's this. He's just got the most amazing voice. It's brilliant casting James Dreyfus because in the UK he has a sort of. Um, You've probably never heard of him, I don't know. He's, he's, he was famous in the UK for being in some comedy series uh, where he played very camp characters. He was very, very quickly like this, that kind of sort of, you know. Um, um, and actually, when you speak to him, he's got a voice like that, you know, and it's terrifying. And, he, and I thought it was fun for him to come in and do the kind of thing he is not usually asked to do. And uh, he's, he's, yeah, I was actually scared of him while he was doing it. I'm, I'm not messing around, I was scared. It's something really intimidating about him. He does this thing that when you ask him questions, he doesn't answer. So James, is that all right for you? Do you want to, should we do it again? We'll do it again. Uh, we'll do it again. And then he goes, thank you, and does it. And then at the end of the day, he comes up and goes, oh, thank you very much, I've had a great time. But you haven't seen any of that. It's like he's been in character all day, you know. Uh, yeah, just a good actor with the right voice, you know. And, and, and we like to surprise ourselves with casting, not, not always do the obvious thing. 
you know. And David Richardson is very good at spotting people like that. That was, it was entirely his idea, and I agreed with it wholeheartedly. That sort of ties in with another thing that I've been thinking about. Uh, you know, you've talked before about how some actors have left us so recently, uh, Liz Sladen, Caroline John. You know, you feel a little weird about recasting, you know, John Hurt, you know, mm-hmm. recasting mm-hmm. things that are very recent, but um, Roger Delgado um, mm-hmm. passed quite a while ago. Um, and so one of the things that I had been wondering is if the third Doctor Adventures would ever feature a, another person playing the, the Delgado yeah, version of I would love to do that, but you know, what it would take is one of the, like the Tim Trelaw moment of having someone in doing something and going, hold on a minute, and don't think I haven't been listening out for, for a brigadier or a master or, you know, I do occasionally, we think, you know, and Dave will say, do you think that guy there, can I, I, and we go, no, maybe not, maybe not, but yeah, um, that's what it comes down to, really. I mean, Roy, I'm such a huge fan of uh, Roger Delgado's Master. It's just, um, it's a little bit like what you're, you were saying about, you know, my rather uh, um, generalizing opinion of the Hartwell era. It's, it's like people think of Roger Delgado, oh yeah, it was, it was like a pantomime villain thing, but actually, it's such a sophisticated performance because there's so much joy and warmth in his performance, isn't it? And yet you also hate him, but you kind of love him as well. And that is, how do you, you know? Yeah, it's so charismatic how yeah. he performs the master. And yeah, you can't help but love this man. Yeah. And he doesn't just laugh in an evil way, he doesn't yeah. do a <laughs> He's really, his laugh is joyous. And we you know when he's sort of slapping his hands together, oh, doctor, you know, all that. I, just amazing. I mean, I would love to be able to do that part, but I don't sound enough like him. So. One of my favorite all time moments in Doctor Who is the master watching the clangers <laughs> and getting That's... such a joy out of watching this kid's but program. Things, yeah, Real. I love that moment where there's strange creatures with puppets for children. Oh. <laughs> That's a beautiful moment, isn't it? Now, I, I don't think that there have been several actors who contacted me and said, I can do the master, and I say, uh, okay, do the master. And say, hello, I'm the master. Mm, okay, you can't do the master. <laughs> but I know you believe it when you say that. But, uh, we have time for one question if somebody yeah. has a. So if the master is going to be in this. Doctor. Yes. How do we resolve that within the five doctors? Susan doesn't seem to know who the master is, and she asked Tegan, is he a friend of the doctors? Yeah. How there is something in the script, I can't remember what it is, but there's something. Yeah, there's there's yeah, I don't Just know. What it well, if I, well, if I remember the cover uh, image, uh, he doesn't look at all like the uh, Ainley version of the master, so. Uh, Maybe it's just something to solve at some other point. I think it might be that she just doesn't, she's never heard the name The Master or something like that. Could be that. Yeah. You will see, just imagine. (laughs) They're usually fairly good about, uh, and this is one thing I will will tell you, Nick, your your writers are usually pretty good about... But they're talking about... Right, exactly. (laughs) And if they're not, the script editor is. Right, so figuring out those sort of continuity things like Teague or uh, Leela encountering the Centaurans before Invasion of Time, Uh, some of those things. No, no, but they did it right. I know, but it's it's such a... I'm writing a story at the moment where I'm told this character's in it, but they can't meet Sensor because otherwise he'll know that they know that... (laughs) Ha 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 ha!
Okay, so he's wearing a balaclava and... Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right, one last question. One big finish question. How does one earn loyalty points to get the, you know, uh, the little code to get a discount on something? I've been a big finish buyer for a long time. Yes. And I've never... We don't have a loyalty scheme at the moment. <laughs> We'd love to do one. I thought, isn't there like put a... I thought you had that in your website. No, I think if you spend a certain amount, then you get 10% off. Oh. $50. $50, yeah, and you get 10% off. Um, and we do occasionally do coded offers, and those codes are given out, okay. you know, are widely available. But um, yeah, I did. But no, no we, listen, we have lots of discussions about doing things like loyalty schemes, gift vouchers and stuff. Uh, yeah. I'm looking forward to the 20th anniversary in hopes of a blowout sale. Oh my god, yeah. that was good. Yeah. And silly me, you had to enter something to get into that. Ah, yeah, there you are. And we tell you what it is, though, yeah. don't we? Yeah. yeah. And then if you buy a load of them, you also get 10% off. Boom, boom. Sorted double bubble, as we like to say in the UK. Uh, yeah. Um, the thing I say about sales is that sales are surprises. <laughs> so we can't tell you what the sales are because they're everyone would just stop buying everything, wouldn't they? You know, and then we go straight out of business. They're little sort of fun reward things for people. Really, I suppose it's for people who, because everyone makes a priority about what they want the most. Mm -hmm. And then there's some things I think, do you know? I can't really afford that. I'd like it, but it's not a priority. And then it goes on sale. And I think, well, it's on sale. I'll get it then. And that's that's sort of what they're for. That's what Blake 7 was for me. Because, well, I love Blake 7, Doctor Who's where I'm going to spend yeah. my money. But then it went on sale. And I was like, oh, I want those Blake 7s now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you're not rolling in money, basically. <laughs> right. I mean, there's, you know, Frank Skinner, who was in uh, an episode that was in The Mummy on the Orient Express or whatever it was called. Um, you know, and he's done a few things for us. And he's a very, very, very well-known comedian in the UK. And, you know, he's a massive fan of Doctor Who and particularly Big Finish. And when he was talking to me about the ones that he buys, and he just said to, you know, and obviously he's very rich, he's a very successful entertainer. And he said, you know, Nick, he said, because uh, I've got money, you know, money's not a problem. <laughs> There's so many fans listening to this thinking, oh, I wish I was in that position. I would be, like to be in that position as well. Does he buy all the output? Yeah, he buys mostly everything. He wouldn't buy the prisoner, so I have to, I have to tell you, I did a terrible, naughty thing. I, I put it in his account for free. <laughs> and then emailed him and said, will you listen to this, please? He still hasn't told me whether he has or not. I'll be working with him in a couple of weeks' time, so we shall see. Now, you're going to say something about that on the podcast, then, too, yeah? What's that? You, you'll report back. I will. Of course, I will. Good point. I will report back on there. You should write into the podcast to remind me. Podcast at bigfinish.com. It's time to go. Yeah. So, thank you, Nick. Thank you, and thank you all for joining us. And like I said, my business card is up here. If you would uh, like to take one. You've been listening to the 42 Cast, copyright 2018. Got a question for the ultimate answer? Contact us at everything at 42cast.com. Theme music is Sharper Swords by Brandon Ellis. Check out more of his work at www.cityfires.com. 
Incidental music is provided with permission by Fur DK. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at esonetwork.com.